I feel like it is incumbent upon all of us, right, to do what we can to reinforce our shared humanity. And welcome to The Reader's Heart, a podcast of conversations with authors and illustrators about children's literature as a vehicle for empathy and joy in a dark world. The Reader's Heart is rooted in the belief that our world needs the magic of children's literature now more than ever. So let's get started. This week, my guest is best-selling author and Cherokee Nation citizen Tracy Sorrell. Tracy writes inclusive, award-winning fiction and nonfiction in a variety of formats for young people. Among her many honors, just this year, Tracy's picture book, Contenders, which was illustrated by Aragon Starr, and her middle grade novel in verse mascot, which she co-wrote with Charles Waters, as well as her middle grade nonfiction title, She Persisted, Wilma Manhunter, which was illustrated by Alexander Boyer and Gillian Flint, were all named American Indian Youth Literature Award honor titles. Yay, Tracy! Tracy is a tireless advocate for Indigenous youth, and I'm delighted that she agreed to chat with me today. That said, be sure to stick around until the end of the episode for information about where to find Tracy's books, along with a discount code from our friends at Bookalicious. Hi, Tracy. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Jennifer, for having me. I'm such a huge fan of your work and feel like I've been connected to your reader's heart for a lot of years through the books that you have written and shared. And I know so many kids feel that way too. I'm so grateful. When I started this podcast, you were like top of my list of someone I hoped would say yes to talking to me. So I'm fangirling just a little bit right now as well. Um, So let me just start by saying, please consider this also me like announcing my candidacy for um, the Tracy Sorrell, like president of the Tracy Sorrell fan club. Like that's also (laughs) what this is about. Um, But that being said, I thought a good place for us to start would might be might be to talk about your reader's heart and who you are as a reader. And then we can, I'm sure we'll transition into how that feeds your writer's heart as well. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, my reader's heart really hasn't changed since I was, um, a child in many ways. And I think that I still want to be pulled into a story and made to feel like, yeah, I got to finish this. I got to finish this. I got to know what happens. And it doesn't matter if it's fiction or nonfiction. It can be a board book to, you know, a graphic novel, to a short story, um, to a longer prose novel, whatever it is. I mean, honestly, you know, I I will get asked all the time by students, do you like fiction or nonfiction better? And I was Mm -hmm. like, no, I write both because I love both. And I approach writing them the same way. You know, what's the best way to, um, that, you know, with the skills and abilities that I have at the time I'm creating that work, right? What is the best way that I can draw the reader in and take them along with me? 
So that, you know, I think about the age of what's best for this story. I think about the format. And um, of course, I'm always thinking about the through line. And that's the same thing when I'm reading, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, what is this person trying to communicate and tell me through this? You know, what, what is it that I need to know about, you know, if it's fiction, these characters, why is it happening in this setting? Why is this the problems or the struggles they're having? You know, if it's nonfiction, um, why are these events or these people or what's happening? Like, why is that important to know about? And and how might knowing about that um, stretch me in a way mm-hmm. that I, I haven't been before? So I kind of hold all of that um, as I'm, you know, creating my own work because of my experience as a reader and growing up in a family where there are a lot of storytellers Mm. and in a community with a lot of storytellers and seeing people be able to pull you along, right? And want you to be in the midst of that story. And none of them would tell the same story the same way, right? Even if they're describing like, you know, events, let's say in our family or something in our community, or maybe it's a traditional story, right? Everyone's got their own own flavor to it. And you see um, the ways they bring to it, um, whether again, it's fiction or nonfiction. Um, you know, my mother was incredible about reading to us before bedtime, but also creating stories with us in them, mm. you know? And so when I'm reading, I, I want to know that someone's a good storyteller and I love picture books because you immediately see that collaboration, right? That marriage between the text and, um, the visual storytelling. So when I'm writing a picture book or, um, a board book, you know, something that's not going to be photo illustrated, So whatever Mm -hmm. it is, I'm very aware that I also want to pull in that illustrator Mm -hmm. because I want them to go, I already have all these images in my head. I can't not illustrate this book, you know, Um, because that, I mean, they have so much work to do over those pages, right? To take my text and bring it to this whole other level that it's not at currently, right? And they're going to go beyond that text. And we are in such a visual environment. I mean, I grew up at a time where there were a lot more um, little golden books. Sure. More books with text and just spot art in them. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were not, there was not the richness of, opening up a 32 page book with just gorgeous illustrations or a graphic novel, right. Mm -hmm. With all of the emotion and drama and suspense and all these things that are, are shown in those images. And so I want to respect, you know, um, my fellow creator, although I don't always know that who that is, of course, at a time, um, and and try to give them as much room and also as much engaging and rich language mm-hmm. um, to just take and, and run with, you know. 
But like I said, that's because people filled me up with rich and engaging language and imagery from, from childhood. So it's um, kind of this full circle thing, or not even full circle. Yeah. I mean, it's it's almost like concentric circles, right? People right. overlapping and, and all these different areas that really, I would say, compose what's my reader's heart. And, and I'm literally just kind of in the middle of this, you know, because there's all the people who came before me who are still here with me now and those that are coming after me that I kind of hold simultaneously yeah when I'm reading but also when I'm when I'm writing do you find that for you when you sort of don your storyteller hat and you're drawing on all those experiences of hearing story and connecting with story do you start with the character or does it start with a a moment that you want to capture or does it vary? It completely varies. It Mm. completely varies. Um, so sometimes, um, you know, a lot of times I I find myself looking at the structure Mm -hmm. and the format of, you know, I'll have an idea and then I think, but how would I talk about that? What right. would come from that? You and know? in 32 pages. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. So let's say for a picture book, um, and that can be a nonfiction idea, like, you know, the Mary Golda Ross book, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. How do I talk about this woman's accomplishments when I'm not a math and science person? <laughs> in, you know, a narrative biography picture book. But what I see is the through line, like really what I focused on there was, why in all of these anthologies of women in STEM is she, you know, it mentions that she's Cherokee and that her great, great grandfather was the chief of our tribe pre during and post the forced removal from our homelands to where we now have and live on our reservation in um, the Cherokee nation within Northeastern Oklahoma. But like, that was it. And I, yeah. I mean, I'm reading about what she's talking about, about her career, how other people are talking about her. And I'm like, she's not doing any of this stuff at this point in time and achieving the things that she's doing and, and being received the way she is for the work that she's doing, you know, in this top secret environment, the only woman, yeah. you know, in the company, et cetera, if she's not Cherokee. Because she's coming from this background that there's no difference between any genders being educated and, you know, taking their gifts and manifesting those for the service and contribution, you know, for others. Right. So that had to be my through line, you know, but I was like, I don't know how to do it. And so then I had to figure out the structure. So I often find myself wrestling with what is the structure? What is the format for this? You know, mm-hmm. when I wrote um, Powwow Day, you know, yeah. fiction picture book, mm-hmm. I wrote that as a concept early reader. There was really? no names of anyone. There was no um, conflict. You know, it was like a family hanging out at the powwow for the day. Yeah. Right. Because I wanted to see if I could write an early reader. And so several friends read it and they're like, oh, no, no, I, I could see this as a picture book. You have to write this as a picture book. I'm like, I don't want to write it as a picture book. I want to yeah. write an early reader. But I kept hearing this. So I was like, okay, fine. I'll write it as a picture book. But it was still a concept picture book. I shared it with several different authors at conferences and things. And they're like, 
need some conflict. I was like, I don't want conflict. Mm. Well, we don't write things to have them sit in our laptops. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Mm. I'm not going to sit here and work on a story for myself. I mean, some people do that, right? Some people write, you know, and they don't care if anybody ever sees it, but um, I'm like, no, I'm writing these stories because I want to share them with young people. So I was like, all right, you know, let me figure this out. So, you know, then I had to think of about River and her family and like, what would be the conflict mm-hmm. and all those kinds of things. So that story was, I don't know if it was seven and a half or eight and a half years from the time I first wrote that um, early reader concept book mm-hmm. to when it was out on shelves, you know, yeah. and, um, and it completely transformed. And throughout that, my craft transformed, right? Just my knowledge of, um, how to craft the story, how to make that happen. Um, so I, um, I just have to take every story piece by piece. And, Mm -hmm. and sometimes I don't have the level of craft or comfort with a story, um, and what it may need from me. And I need to do more work, you know, spend more time reading, studying, spend more time, um, in essence, practicing, you know, to be ready to write that. And, um, but that's what keeps me, I don't know, motivated, invigorated is that there's always a new way to stretch myself. And, and that's what comes from getting input from other people, whether that's the readers or like other authors, you know, folks who give you feedback about your work. It's like, oh yeah, I guess I could do that. Or maybe, you know, this is a better way to, to do something. So I, I constantly feel myself being stretched one mm-hmm. way or another and, um, always the student, always the student. Um, but I, and I love that. I really do. I want to definitely circle back to, you know, what you're sort of hoping readers will get from reading your books. But I feel like I really want to know just from a curiosity standpoint, do you use like a critique group? Or is there a certain group of friends that you regularly share your work with? Yeah, I did um, early on a lot. And now it's kind of piecemeal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, you know, my agent will look at, um, what I'm submitting. If I'm working with an editor that I've worked with previously, yeah. a lot of times I'll just send it to the editor and be like, yeah. you know, Hey, here's, here's what I, what I'm thinking of. What do you think? And we just kind of go from there. You know, mm-hmm. if it's something that I don't feel, um, uh, because, um, I've already shared it with other people that I need to have input from around the story. So that could be culture keepers, wisdom keepers. Um, you know, if it's nonfiction subject matter experts or whatever, I I have a book coming out soon called clack, clack, smack, a Cherokee Mm. stickball story. Well, I, you know, I didn't grow up playing stickball all the time. Mm -hmm. So I talked to a bunch of other uh, Cherokee guys who have grown up playing stickball, Mm -hmm. who use our language in playing that because I wanted to have Cherokee language within the story. And there will be an all Cherokee version that comes out, but the um, English version has Cherokee Mm -hmm. in it. And so it's just like, okay, I need you all to read this. And it's not something like a critique group can help me with, right? Because yeah. unless they're like stigma, like they don't have any idea. Right. It's like, no, I need you to read this and tell me 
how I'm describing the action, what I'm having people say is in line with what I've observed when I've been watching stickball games, you know, mm-hmm. and my son plays stickball um, at school all the time in, uh, in PE and stuff. And so, um, but of course it's played, you know, out on our ceremonial grounds, it's played as a social game. And, um, so there's those kind of folks that have seen a lot of my stuff. And that's why I say, like, sometimes I just send it to the editor or to my agent because I've already gone through with, um, a lot of folks who I know I need to have had eyes on that Yeah. before anybody sees it. That's why it's kind of disingenuous that, like just my name or, you know, yeah. the illustrators will be on the cover. Cause I'm like, really, there's all these other people that this story could not have happened right. with that are, are fundamental. And you don't always get the opportunity to list all of them, you know, right. in the book. There's yeah. only so many pages of acknowledgements you're allowed, right? To- Pretty much. And it's, it's yeah. really short in uh, the shorter, the shorter books. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that your uh, an upcoming book will be, there'll be an edition that's entirely in Cherokee. I have two questions related to that. The first is have other, any others of your books also been released only in Cherokee? Like have there been Cherokee editions? That's the first question. And then the second question um, I guess I had around that. And I guess it's less of a question than anything else. I mean, it's more of a statement is that I, A, didn't know that. And B, I feel like that is so incredibly important considering the disappearance of native languages through, you know, systemic attempts to eradicate them. That just feels so incredibly important. Do you mind speaking to those, to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. It's something that's very important to me. Um, mm-hmm. because obviously you have had, um, on many levels and it's ongoing today, mm-hmm. you know, a, a real push, um, through the boarding school era right? and to not have, you know, take native children from their families. And mm-hmm. obviously if you can't grow up speaking the language and you don't grow up in a family environment, then there is a huge disconnect, right. That it has a ripple effect across generations And so you see Native nations across the country really working hard on um, language reclamation and having, you know, adults and young people learn from elders. And so that's certainly something that the Cherokee Nation is um, very much focused on. Mm -hmm. Like I say, my son goes to our tribe's immersion school. So he's Mm -hmm. in Cherokee, um, in school during the day. And, um, for me, you know, I wanted with the very first book to have Cherokee words in there. And so we are grateful. Ojali Haliga, um, has on the, and then the title for the front, right. It's, it's in English, it's in the transliteration, and then it's in the Cherokee syllabary, but it's literally saying the exact same thing three ways on, Mm -hmm. on the front. And I had Cherokee words in there and, um, people were like, oh, publishers aren't going to want that. And I was like, well, you know, if, if they don't want it, then I don't want them publishing the book right? because this is important to me that we have a book because there are none of picture books of che- contemporary Cherokee people. And so kind of moving forward from that, because Charles Bridge was so fine and on board with it. I mean, heck, they had done a book back in 94, not by someone, um, who was an enrolled citizen of uh, the Cherokee tribe, but about Cherokee people and had used Cherokee words in it. So I was like, oh, well, if it's been done before, clearly it can be done now, you know? And um, so with my second book at the mountain's base, my um, 
editor Namrata Chapati at Kokila said we'll do um, a completely Cherokee version. So there's an ebook version oh. of At the Mountain's Base that's completely in the Cherokee syllabary, oh. which the so whereas English has um, letters that you put together to make words, Cherokee has um, they go right ahead past that and go mm-hmm. we're just going to take the syllables and put them together <laughs> and um yeah. boy it created us you know 85 characters that are used to represent those different syllables and so um with the stickball story that'll be my second one that completely has a Cherokee edition and I'm, I'm like I say I'm really excited about that are those and- easy to obtain you know, like if you, as a library, a lot of, you know, people listening to this will be librarians. So mm-hmm. uh, is it easy for them to obtain them through normal, you know, book vendors? Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. it's, uh, you know, it's published by Penguin Random House. They can mm-hmm. um, order the ebook and have it in their collections and available for people that. to check out. Yeah, absolutely. Same with Charles Bridge. They're distributed mm-hmm. by Penguin Random House. It'll be available um, for ordering through mm-hmm. them. No problem. And, um, you know, we have a whole language translation department here at the tribe. There are lots of first language speakers, but one of the um, gentlemen that works for the translation department does freelance work on the side for a number of publishers. Mm -hmm. And so I have um, asked him, you know, to help with the translation of these books. So it's been um, just great to uh, have you know, a way for whether it's, you know, our, our young people or adult learners to have something at that picture book level, right? It's that early mm-hmm. entry level. Cause we have like missionaries a long time ago who were, um, Moravians. So they spoke kind of a, a German type language. Sure. That's not really a dialect. That's not really used anymore. They translated, uh, the New Testament into um, Cherokee, but you know, again, like they're not language, they're not native speakers, you know. Right. And so it's it's not an easy book to read and understand. And there's some other books that had been um, in the language that other people had done. You know, we have a lot more things that have now been written by Cherokee people, but not a lot of young books for young people. And so when you're new in the language, whether you're you know a child looking to read and um, understand the syllabary or you're an adult. Like to me, these are quintessential necessary books that are an easy gateway for you to, you know, have something you could say, I read a book, you know, in my language. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I also, for me, as you talking about this, I kept thinking about how I think there's a misconception that native languages are somehow dead languages or languages Mm. from the Mm. past. And of course, they're contemporary languages. And I think even if you have no interest in learning those languages, seeing those books written entirely in a native language in your library, in your school library, in your public library on a bookshelf, I think helps to dispel that notion that that is somehow, uh, you know, something from the past that people don't still use them. Yeah, absolutely. It also, I guess, communicates not just a, we are still here, but we will Mm -hmm. always be here. Yeah. You know, that our language has survived over tens of thousands of years and, and it's still evolving, right. Mm -hmm. As languages do. And we're still using it. And um, 
you know, like if you drive around here within the reservation, especially over in the capital city of Tahlequah, there's street signs in Cherokee, mm-hmm. right? And um, more and more, that's just becoming the norm. Like when I walk into the building where my son goes to school, it's got the school, there's the translation department, there's a master language apprentice program where they are, um, adults are, t- you know, Monday through Friday, eight to five, all day in the language, learning the language to be able to, you know, share it across culture and teaching, et cetera. Um, but that it's all in the Cherokee syllabary inside yeah. that building. Yeah. So it's very much a part of our present and, and our future. And anything, you know, through my little books, you know, what I'm doing that I can help in that effort, um, I want to do. You know, yeah. because I I look at what has been um, kept from us mm-hmm. and um, there's just no place for it anymore. You know, it's like right. when we would have these initiatives that would come up and I, you know, it hasn't, I'm, I'm shocked that it hasn't happened in the last couple of years. Um, but, you know, here in Oklahoma, they would have these like English only initiatives. And I was like, what? and so all the tribal leaders and folks would go to the state capitol and say, you know, there's over, there's 39 native nations within the borders of what is Oklahoma. Yeah. And English was not the common language here ever. Okay. Mm. Even after statehood, we had Europeans coming in with other languages, right. That came in uh, when you took our land. I was just like, like, this is not that kind of place. We, you know, you're not going to come in here and say, this is an English only state when, we have such the diversity of people. And of course that's anywhere in, in the United right. States, right? We could never be an English only nation because of just how many different native nations there are. First of all, you know, there's over 570 right. within um, one of the borders of, of the nation and then let alone people from all over, you know? Um, so I'm just like, what what's the deal? You know, you yeah. get such richness mm-hmm. added to everyone's daily life mm-hmm. by learning what is within those languages, right? Just mm-hmm. the, the thought process, yeah. the worldview, the way they talk about, um, plants, you know, yes. information that's shared. It's, it's amazing. And, and to lose yeah. that, oh, how impoverished we all would be, how, know. you know, how much our lives would be missing. Right. I'm going to pause here and apologize. You might hear my dogs barking in the background. And if you do, I apologize. It's a dog friendly podcast because we have to be around here. Um, But I want to circle back then to this idea of making sure that not just your readers, but the wider world, you know, their parents, their grandparents, their community, our politicians, you know, understand that or see stories that depict native people in modern life mm-hmm. um, and not through stereotypes and how incredibly important that has been for you as I think, I mean, I don't want you to correct me if I'm wrong. I think as a trailblazer in that mm-hmm. way, especially among picture book authors. Um, and I just want to talk about, you know, you've, you've touched on it a little bit, but I guess as you're writing these stories for young people, 
do you have a hope or what is your goal in terms of how young readers might connect with those stories? Mm -hmm. Well, again, um, you know, I just think back to my childhood and mm -hmm. how I did not get to walk into a classroom or my school library or my public mm -hmm. library, three places that I really enjoyed right. being and um, and having access to more stories there, right? Then we're just at my home and neighborhood mm -hmm. and within my family, uh, within my tribe and um, really not seeing yeah. stories that related to anything I had. So it was like, okay, well, this is great because it's kind of an escape or I'm learning about things that I didn't know about that exist in the world. Sure. Um, but really I got started on this whole path out of like righteous anger Yeah. <laughs> as my son, uh, was going to preschool and I was like, wait a second, mm. where are the books that you're going to have that show us in yeah. the here and now? And where are the ones that bring right. our history forward to connect to the now and the future. Mm -hmm. So um, it really was to say, hey, mm -hmm. come on, folks, even if you're not taught this, and I know in teacher preparation programs, you know, they're not getting this information. No. You know, I mean, literally, if you don't get it in K-12, I mean, if you don't grow up seeing it, right, mm -hmm. and, and experiencing it in your family or your family and those in your circle around you don't expose you to things you're just not going to know about it right. you know and so because I I have been in schools all over this country you know mm -hmm. I have spoken in libraries all over this country and the number of young people that think we don't still exist right is very high in the 21st century and I think to myself how is this possible right because we have books now Right. Mm -hmm. We have um, a presence in, in TV and film, not as much as we need, you know, but your kid can watch Molly of Denali, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's on public television. Right. You know, there's other things that are on streaming on Netflix and things like that. But, you know, I'm like, there's 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 things that are there. And yet I go, but not everybody's paying attention to that stuff. Right. So. For me, it came about as, okay, you know, I missed out on these things when I left the house of, of seeing those things in my classroom, in the school library, in the public library. I don't want another generation to grow up not seeing themselves. Now, thankfully, I'm not alone in this, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of like sometimes you don't know groupthink is happening or group willpower sure. or whatever. So there's all these other native people creating books at the yeah. same time I am we all kind of come on to this this collective um through through various things and you know and I know that we need diverse books also calling for the industry to say hey where mm -hmm. are the books about us by us right Not seeing that, right mm -hmm. also helped with getting publishers on board and uh so that's why you know, when you say trailblazer, I'm like, uh, I feel like I was just part of this wave that came in. Um, and uh, I'm going to do everything possible to make sure that those doors don't shut 
and that we keep having more and more people. Um, Because, you know, again, as I said before, we have over 570 Native nations. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of stories we don't know. There's a lot of um, richness out there in terms of contributions that have been made, things that have occurred as part of our national history that we don't know on, you know, the, the fiction side, right? So many more, uh, fantastical, you know, contemporary, realistic, whatever, you know, (laughs) thriller Mm -hmm, stories mm -hmm. that we have not yet gotten to experience written from people who are embedded and connected to community. And, and we need that, you know, I don't want uh, I feel like we're all robbed of um, understanding and enjoying our our shared humanity when we don't have access to that. And, you know, people older than me, my same age, younger than me, have done a lot of work around helping young people be able to know and own their identities, yeah. their intersections. And I don't want anything to stop that from going continuing forward. So much of the time when I was growing up, even into my early adulthood, um, and and it, I mean, it still exists on, on many levels today, but I, I really felt it acutely when I was younger. There were just things you could not talk about, right? Yeah. And um, a lot was closeted, you know, mm-hmm. to use that term. I, I don't want you know, our, our young people now or at any point in the future to feel like that's, that's the new norm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I know we're in an environment that, um, there are people who definitely want us to be in that place again, but I feel like with my writing, um, that is a way for me to say, look, you know, we're here. We've always been here. We're always going to be here. And, um, that is great. That is something to be celebrated. And, um, and we've got, you know, our tragedies and we've got our failings just like everybody else. Yeah. Um, but you can't connect to each other if you don't know each other's stories and our whole life, right. Is made up of story. There's a story from, you know, that starts before your birth. Mm-hmm. right? Until you become an ancestor there, you know, your whole life is made up of, of story and making sense of things. And so to somehow limit our ability to hear each other's stories, I, I want no part of that. I want no part of that. You know, I, I, I grew up yeah. with that. I'm not, I'm yeah. not living that, um, from this point forward. And I'm, and I'm definitely at a place in life where I know I have less days ahead of me than behind me. So I'm not accepting that this is how I'm going to uh, walk forward in the world. I feel like now more than ever, I have to keep telling myself that the reason we have this pushback that you're talking about, about creating inclusive stories and giving everyone access to them. The reason we have this pushback is because of the progress that has been made and because of the power of story. As you just said, if the stories weren't powerful, people wouldn't be afraid of them. Right. Yeah. And if you want to, um, you know, 
keep people in a place of fear and have control over them, then you limit access, right? To information. You really try to sever connection. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we see that right now, right. With not just within our country, but, you know, around the world, right. Really trying to keep people separate, limit information that people know about what's happening and, um, and who's harmed by that. Well, of course we're all harmed, but I, of course, am thinking about these children, right. And the, the harm that is being done and the ripple effects of that now Mm -hmm. moving forward you know, that you have just introduced this whole new tidal wave of, of trauma because they are not allowed to be who they are. They are not allowed information, connecting with story, the things that would, again, help them survive what they're going through, I know. And, um, so like I say, whether it's, um, you know, locally, across the states, throughout the nation, around the world, I I see this play out again and again. And I just think, no, we're not, we're not doing this. We're not doing this. Well, I'm so grateful for people like you who are putting their collective and creative and intellectual foot down um, and saying, no, we're not going to allow this to happen. And I think one of the, you know, obvious, this is obvious an obvious thing to say, but one of the things that in one of the ways that you're doing that is to continue to work on literature for young people. And even though I feel like I could talk to you for hours, this time has flown by and I want to be respectful of it. And I want to give you some time to talk about what's coming next for you. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about your picture books a lot today, but I'm such a big fan of your middle grade Indian No More mascot. And I see, I saw on your website, you have maybe a, a, a book for middle grade that's photo-based that's about the removal. I, talk about yeah. anything you want that's coming mm-hmm. up, but I definitely want to hear just a smidge about that one. Actually, that is what I'm um, working on right now. So that will be out next year. And so I'm um, revising it and uh, it was due to my editor a few weeks ago. So I'm um, behind on that deadline. So yes, that does happen. I generally Deadlines don't Deadlines are to, just suggestions. They're just well, suggestions. Well, no, I mean, we, we, we've blown this one a couple of times. So, you know, my editor's like, come on, you know. Um, and that's not, I don't generally do that, um, mm-hmm. but- this um, is a nonfiction photo illustrated book. And, um, you know, it's a very um, heavy topic. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. on, on one level, um, it was a delight to follow these um, Cherokee young people um, from ages uh, 18 to 22 retrace the um, Northern route of the Trail of Tears, the forced removal of Cherokee people from our homelands in the east to um, where we now live um, in northeastern Oklahoma. But it's, you know, it's also like, well, what's my family's experience with that? And how do I do justice to the story um, of framing that historical event that is still very much guides our lives today, right? I mean, we would not be in this place had we not been forcibly removed, right? Sure. And um, and the tribe uses the ride. Young people do this. They train. They're training right now. You know, they train on the weekends uh, physically, but they also do language and history, culture training. 
um, as a leadership development program so that they understand what has happened and obviously wanting them to uh, look at how they can work in their communities, how they can help our you know, nation as a whole, um, the Cherokee Nation and, and other Native nations to, to ensure that this kind of uh, trauma and, and dislocation doesn't happen again. But at the same time, um, for just to them to know, you know, the people that they come from mm-hmm. and to understand what has happened to them and in a way to know that, heal it from that and, and see themselves as, as that, like I said, that future, that future leadership mm-hmm. on, on many levels. And so it's been, it's hard to describe. It's been an incredible sure. experience to work on this book Oh, well, I'm, you know, so grateful that you're persevering. I'm grateful for myself who, uh, you know, get so much from reading your work, but for all the young people that we serve who get a, not only a glimpse into a world that may or may not reflect their own experiences, but I also think sort of a, a guide for how to navigate the world when we surround kids with books that fuel their empathy we give them a roadmap for how to be in on this planet and to be a good steward of it and of one another so thank you Mm, well thank you yeah I feel like it is incumbent upon all of us right to do what we can to reinforce our shared humanity and to help you know other people say let me choose the path of connection Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, much like, I feel like my job as an author is much like the physician's oath first do no harm. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to tell the truths in these books, you know, I'm not trying to traumatize anyone, but I also don't want to sugarcoat or keep information. Right. Because if right. we don't know what has happened, we cannot move forward together. We have to own and know what has happened um, so that we, you know, again, come to a place of how do we listen to each other's stories? How do we respect that everyone has a right to exist, you know, instead of some groups being marginalized and targeted for, you know, genocide, that's absolutely unacceptable. Because that's it, right? You know, like we can lift heavy things. We can handle hard truths together. And, you know, books are a way for us to, as you say, feel and be connected to other people. And that's the only way that I think we're able to tackle these things is nobody does it alone. We have to do it together. Yeah. We're, We're social creatures. We are meant to be in relationship. I mean, when you look at, you know, um, like let's say in this thing. So there's a number of awards or prizes or things that are given Mm -hmm. out, right. For books and stuff. And I'm like the best and most meaningful thing to me. And what truly means the most is when I have someone talk about how this book connected with them Mm -hmm. and how they, or they read and they read it with someone else and their thoughts, like that it prompted this discussion or this Mm -hmm. action, or they wanted to find out more. It's like, yes, exactly. It's like a web and you get in this web and you can't get out, right? You're just, 
You're like, yes, okay, there's this and that. And I want to go meet these people. Or I want to read more about this. I want to, you know, see how I can help with this. Yes, that's, that yeah. is not validation, but that is the satisfaction for me. That's yeah. what I say. Yes, absolutely. Please get in the web mm-hmm. and be connected, right? And um, what what are you going to do? right? To put in, um, to, to the mix, you know, what, how are your gifts and your abilities and your talents going to increase that? Um, because there's plenty of, of, uh, ways to get focused on siloing and, um, not being connected, but that is not going to sustain any of us. Mm-hmm. And certainly we have a responsibility, not just to ourselves, right? But to, I mean, we, other living beings on this earth, right? Need us to be much better about living in um, balance with them and, and respecting them as well. And so there's just, there's a lot of knowledge and um, ways of being that if you are missing the stories of native people, we all are, um, we all suffer as a result of that. We really do. You are an inspiration. Thank you so much. I just want to like say preach it girl. Cause I, <laughs> I just feel like this message is so important right now. And I'm so grateful to you for sharing it with us and with your readers. Mm-hmm. Thank you for keeping on. And I look forward to everything you've got coming up next. Oh, no. Appreciate you, Jennifer. And um, yes, I mean, I just, if there's one thing I will leave, you know, those listening with, um, you all have gifts and abilities that can further connection. And that's what we all need. so much for tuning in to the reader's heart more information about this episode including ways to connect with tracy as well as a discount code for purchasing her books through bookalicious are available at librarygirl.net this podcast was created written and recorded by me jennifer lagarde all rights reserved our theme music was created by comma media which is available for free at pixabay's royalty free music repository and the beautiful logo for our show was created by Karina Lucan. If you enjoyed our show, please leave us a five-star review at wherever you listen to podcasts. Believe it or not, this small step makes a big difference in helping the reader's heart find its audience. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time. And until then, happy reading, y'all.